This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my theater of the mind. Hello, travelers. We meet again on the bridge between our minds, Evening's Kingdom, where I'm reading installments of my epic fantasy, Evening's Kingdom, books one and two, and interviewing other artists and thinkers. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to scroll down in your app and click five stars and maybe share the show with a friend. In today's episode, when parallel worlds collide, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Every ending contains a new beginning, and Uma meets her story's narrator, the mysterious descended goddess, Naom. Evening's Kingdom, written and read by Paula Schmidt. This is Paula Schmidt. We continue. Ogadai. Fish scales and the glue of cooked-down yang blood were promising additions to the castle's mortar. Ulali will stand another ten thousand years, the youngest mason said proudly to Ogadai, showing him their handiwork. You found the one thing yangs are good for, he said. Tolu came outside their circle, hunting Ogadai's eyes. A word with you, brother. They walked in silence until they were out of earshot. Yes, Ogadai said. You're planning to kill Uma. Tulu said. Ogodai steered Tulu into an alley. The air was full and heavy with rain, and yet all was eerily still. Here in this narrow walkway, Ogodai could smell the rage and confusion on the bigger man's sweat. He crossed his arms. You don't need to say it, Tulu said. I know you. She's demonstrated her strength, and anyone you can't control has to go, right? You see what she's done to you, Tulu, Ogodai said. She's poisoned your thoughts. You're her puppet. Do you really want her to work you as you saw she did the dead? No, Tulu. And would you have that for my children? For Lelora? For Fern? No, we don't need the vampire any longer. It has become a risk. I do need your help. She's an it now. Tulu took a step back. In the shade of the alley, he could smell Ogodai's breath, sour with thirst. Sooner or later, the Yang will return. They want this port. And without Uma to help us defend it, look around. We've taken the castle thanks to Uma, but what do we do next? Sing and dance? With the gates still left wide open and bodies lying in the street. The Cherklo will never defeat the Yang on our own. And the Yang will be back, Okadai. Thunder rolled across the harbor. Tulu yelled over the sound. The best thing about we Chirklo, you must admit, is also the worst thing about us if you intend to build and keep an empire. But with Uma, we can take on the Yang and yet remain as the Chirklo people wish to be. Free, light, and easy. Ogodai leaned back on his hips. I agree with you that a healer is useful. But a Wutar who can raise and control the dead? Are you even listening to me? Tulu said. Uma is just beginning to come into her power, Tulu. She is a child. You think she'll be content with healing now that she's had a taste of real power? Perhaps you're her friend today. Will you be her friend tomorrow? Uma wants the Wutar to rise again. You know this. He shook his head. You do not save a predator. It will only grow strong and then kill you. You're wrong, Tulu said. We need Uma. We can't survive here without her. Ogodai exploded. You have no faith in your people. 
We never should have come here, Tolu said. You'll kill us all. You've never lived with so much to lose. I see it in your face already. The effect this castle is already having on you. You're afraid to lose it. Understanding dawned across Tolu's face. It's Lelora. Lelora is afraid she's put you up to this. Get on with you, Ogodai said. The sky sparked with lightning. Comfort is a trap, my brother, Tolu said. We shall see who rises up first from his bed when the enemy calls. Ogodai waited for Tolu to stop pacing, for his fists to soften. Uma wants to die he said softly. She's begged for death since the moment we found her. She's been our instrument, no more. Now she is a threat. Tolu, I cannot tolerate a threat to the ones I love. Tolu closed his eyes. When he spoke, his voice was raw. How do you intend to do it? Yes, said Uma behind them. How? She stood at the alley's entrance, backlit by storm clouds, and the air simmered red. Then, the world cracked open. Suddenly, everything fell in upon itself, doubled, tripled, swam. The alley stood in infinite variations all around them, and Uma herself was knocked against the wall. She saw her own body reel in a thousand different iterations, saw herself paler, longer, standing, falling, she even saw some versions of reality in which she was not there at all. Then came another shudder of such force that all the world splintered at once, and Uma lay on her back, reeling. The portals had closed just as suddenly as they had opened, and all the worlds around them became as one again, but it was shaking violently, and the sky was still broken. She saw a hive of foreign silhouettes flood down from the heart of the sky. The creatures fell into the ocean, into the dunes, into the castle. Creatures of every size and shape imaginable, while all around them the air roared and the water screamed. Uma stumbled upright and immediately fell down again. Her palms and knees were streaming blood. She fought upright as the earth shook, screaming at Tolu and Ogadai, It's coming! The water is coming! But the men couldn't hear her, or they didn't understand. Uma was already running the other direction, racing for higher ground. She knew that sound, knew what it meant. It was the sound of a typhoon, screaming up atop the sands. Anyone who remained on the ground had but moments to live, and the sky went black with freezing rain and howling winds, just as Uma made it up into the Tower of the Reaping Suns. She clambered on all fours up the ancient, wildly shaking stairs, while centuries came crumbling down around her. Asunder The typhoon smashed the port of Ula Lee slamming massive seafaring ships into fishing cottages, stables, the castle walls. Floodwaters rushed into the courtyard, spinning up the dead and living alike, Chiriklo's wagons and animals, and Fern was still in Owain's river wagon out on the dunes. She'd sat up at the sound from the sea, and now in Owain's wagon she was lifted into the air. She sailed, her eyes closed as if still dreaming. And once more, Fern saw the pale fronds of her mother's lost weaving, full of peace, the heart of the sky. And then all was blackness. Ogodai! Lelora reached frantically for her husband. Their hands almost touched. And then she was swept away in the floodwaters. Her palms were open, empty, vanishing stars. Ogodai swam blindly in the direction she disappeared, but had it taken her up or down? He was spinning, then knocked sideways, 
and terror scowled it all through him as Ogodai realized he was flailing straight downwards. He slammed headlong into a wall. Tulu was torn off in the other direction, his locks heavy with water, tangling him against debris, weighing him down. When Ogodai came to again, he was bobbing atop the drunken waves. It was stunningly hot. Somewhere, antelopes were treading water, bleeding on and on. He heard them thrashing, and for a moment he wondered if they needed to be milked. The sky loomed black like a closing door, and something was beside him, all teeth and unnatural lights. An enormous eye stared at him. Yellow. Beautiful, as the sun is beautiful. It blinked. Ogodai opened his mouth to scream. He never heard the sound. The drowning and the dead danced like marionettes in the churning water as Ulali tumbled in upon itself, down into the devouring sand. Uma clung to the rooftop of her ancestral home, in the same place where once, so long ago, her Aunt Inga had prayed for her safe return. She felt the stones tremble and faced the waters. Then, I opened my arms to catch her. I am Naom. The sun bled across the sky, leaving the air breathless and hot above the floodwaters. I preferred to study the gritty film it made on my arms rather than the dead things floating around us. Uma awoke gasping. I'd laid her atop a broken caravanner's door. One red wheel was still grimly attached to its corner, turning whenever a bit of debris clicked up against the board, and now she lurched upright, water streaming down off her shaved scalp like a veil and vomited over the side. In the crushing heat, the sound made me uncomfortably aware of my own new flesh. This strange carbon-based sheath, so recently bequeathed to me in desperation by my great lady, that I might persist in this strange new world. For my own world was dead and gone, and with it, the existence I'd enjoyed as a goddess in it. I'd been aware of this world, of course, and the beings in it. I'd even admired them, or what isn't picturesque from a distance. But now that I was trapped here, I was hotly aware of their helpless crudeness. Carbon-based forms rotted constantly. They were as abrupt and violent as they were beautiful. Their all-consuming lusts to beget themselves to survive at all costs, and that wonderful lushness itself, the very flowering and brevity I so admired. It was death and decay, my new flesh was a prison, although I could think new thoughts within it, for all containers necessarily shape their contents, I was obsessively aware of my own stinking mortal rot. Equally, I was also alive. I had only ever been light, and now, all at once, I could feel, and sensation was strange and delicious. Reeling with these many newnesses, I floated alongside Uma as she sank back down on the broken door, my nerves and flesh all singing out with sensations, warm, wet, floating. My hair was sopping wet. When I let myself drift, it floated pleasingly behind me, like a long white cloak. My great lady had incarnated me here with skin that was pale gold, like the blinding heat of this alien day itself. I floated and was not yet real to Uma. Truth be told, she wasn't real to me either. I couldn't help perceiving her through the simultaneity, experiencing time linearly, 
as mortals necessarily must, was strange for me, having always been light and timelessness. I was infinite, mortals were finite, and fierce Uma among them. Yet, here and now, here we were, the both of us fragile and most definitely finite. I kept forgetting this, indeed could not conceive of it. How could I possibly be bound to a finite form? For the first time, I wondered about the terms of my lady's gift. There had not been time to ask her any questions before our world ended. Was this flesh to be my shroud? Was I to bloom and then die? For all of existence I have been personified energy. A goddess. I've danced at the birth of stars and cloaked myself in oceans as they chastened into sand. I am story and song and the waymaker of tales, and thereby I am life itself, but I have never been flesh. The pleasure and claustrophobia of it was almost overwhelming. To feel my heart beat and my lungs swell while this beautiful girl went on vomiting and vomiting, and I was completely powerless to help her. Finally, silence. Uma splashed her face and arms clean. As she did, she looked down into the floodwaters and saw, far below, smashed to ruins, her castle, Ulali. We will return, she and I, for that is a tale for a later time. For now, we drifted above it like a cloud. Uma plunged her face into the water wildly, staring down. No! No! One of the broken gates floated up on a single hinge like a shattered wing. Soon it would come free, burst to the surface and float, becoming briefly a kind of island for dying birds. Then it would drift into the side of a mountain, and when these waters ultimately recede, there it would remain. A mysterious door to a bygone era, a marker for the journey folk of a future world. But this is now, and the Medina is a broken net for indifferent fish. Ulali's turrets lie collapsed in all directions like ruined children's playthings, and when Uma looks up, she cannot see the singing sands in any direction. I rested my chin in my hands, watching the young shaman understand this. She sat back slowly and then crumbled into a ball. For a long time, she lay silent touching her swollen, cracked lips. There was no need to ask the question she asked me next, but if you should ever find yourself in a similar situation, you will ask it too. Uma cleared her throat. Am I dead? For she had seen me sitting there after all. I closed my eyes wearily. No, it is my world that is dead. What are you? A guest who has come to stay. The shadow of a great beast scoured across the sky above us, three-tailed and leather-winged. Seeing it, Uma flattened herself down against the board, terrified. That won't harm you, I said. It's from my world. It only eats plants. It's the ones in the water to worry about. Quickly, she pulled her feet up out of the water. But I don't know if my lady saved any of them. I imagine she did, though. She was always equal-handed. I looked away. Your lady, Uma said. My goddess. She saved me. With her last breath as she lay dying, I drew myself up proudly. She held me in her own hands and kissed me goodbye, our great lady, the goddess of my world, just before she sent us here. 
Uma rubbed her eyes, blinking. She sent you, but not herself? There wasn't time, I doubt she even thought to save herself. She saved all her children she could reach. Before... Our world was gone. Almost all the worlds are gone now, Uma, not just mine. The Devourer is eating them. That's why she pushed us here. Not just for refuge, for help, Uma. Help? Uma said. You came here and broke our world to ask for help? Your goddess is one of the eldest surviving gods. They may be able to help us. All of us, your world too. Uma paled. The goddess? You must take me to your goddess. Uh, also called the Thousand? This is what my lady said, it's why she pushed us here. The Devourer is here next. The oracles of the goddess live in a cave above a city called Chalice, Uma said. That is, if your typhoon did not destroy it. You could go there and plan to speak with them. They're the only channel to speak to goddess. This is good. This is good, Uma. I am called Naom. You will come with me. I'd put you in danger, she said. It's dangerous for you to even be seen with me here. The goddess is a Yang god, and the Yang hate the Wutar people. Wutar? I said. That's what I am. See? Uma held out her arm. I touched her skin. Wutar. But I have this too. I held my own arm out against hers, and a smile flickered across her face. It's the color of my skin. I mean, there's other things about me that they hate too, but indigo's skin, no greater sin. You'll hear that a lot around the Yang when you find them. You don't want me with you when you do. I spoke carefully, for I was beginning to lose patience with this angry, beautiful girl. Your people came and prayed to my lady for rain. She brought your world rain. So now you must help me. You owe us a favor. I understand, and I'm grateful for the rain you brought us, but I can't help you. I can't help anyone, Uma said. Look around. This was my world. Now it's gone. Everything is gone because I... I broke the order of the world. I raised the dead to win a war, and now everyone I ever loved, all my friends, are dead. She said you'd say that, Uma, but the coming of the devourer was what drove us here, not your gifts. Uma paused. Do you want to come up on this board with me? Dry off and rest, if you want to? There's no need. I grinned, letting myself drift back. Your world is different from mine. And I am different from you. I lay back, lifting my long, beautiful tail in the air for her to admire. I am Naom, I said, storyteller of the ladies' waterworld court. You smile and this pleases me. You're a merlady, Uma said. In this world, we believed people were only fairy tales. I'm real enough. My lady gave me your language to speak and lungs to breathe without her. We would never have been able to understand each other. What was the language of your world, Uma said, of water world? So I sang for her, tipping back my head as my language rose around us, low and haunting. Our songs emanate from deep within our bodies, punctuated with playful waterfalls of bright, dart-like cries. It felt good to sing, and so I went on for a long time. I wish I understood you, Uma said. It's beautiful. What were you singing about? I called in our evening's court. Uma flushed. Naomi, I think I've seen you before. You look like someone who came to me in a dream a long time ago. But she had legs. Uma turned away, dipping her own legs into the water to cool herself. 
In the dream, you told me to seek out a god who ultimately became my teacher. He... maybe he was from Waterworld? Like you? I could only shrug. To reach the goddess, you will need the permission of the Yang King, Uma said. This is something I might need myself. I've been told that what I'm seeking is also seeking me. Maybe that's you, Naom. Maybe everything is as it should be. If it is so, Uma, it is at great cost, I said. Her face fell. That was the prophecy as well. Seeing her sadness, the euphoria of my survival and entry into this strange new world, of my lady's love and her belief in me, all began to sag. Beneath it was sorrow for everything that I, too, had lost. Forever. What is forever to a mortal? For me, it seemed a very long time. We both fell silent, mourning our separate worlds. It was Uma who broke the silence first. Now I need fresh water. If I drink this ocean water, I'll die. I don't know how long I've been without it. Can you help me? There's a vessel not far from here, I said. I can smell fresh water aboard. I'll push us there. I steered her towards the horizon. Save your strength, I said, grander than ever. But I was used to making the promises of a goddess. As I pushed the heavy board in the water, I began to feel weary. Was there something wrong with this body my goddess had given me? As Uma rested back and tried to close her eyes, I knew she was trying to read my energy shamanically. She was trying to figure out what, exactly, I was. Save your strength, I said again. Uma smiled ruefully. I don't think my teacher was from your world. She rested her chin in one hand. What are you really, Nao? Look there, the ship, I said. As we drew closer, Uma was shocked at the size of it. Look at the width of those boards. Where did the trees come from? They must have been as broad as carts. The vessel was perforated midships with slats for a galley crew to maneuver oars through when necessary. There must be entire villages aboard, Uma said nervously. It might be better if we stay together, I said, swimming us in close. You said this other tribe can be dangerous. Perhaps I can help. I may have an effect. Uma's voice was hoarse. But don't you need to stay in the water? You're half fish. We'll think of something. Ahoy there, I said, calling up. Uma joined me, and together we shouted for help until faces appeared over the edge of the ship. Almost instantly, they disappeared again. We could hear them shouting at each other above decks. The longer it went on, the uneasier Uma became glancing off behind us as if to gauge whether she could swim for it. Finally, a new face appeared, with long, glossy black hair and a neatly tapered beard. Uma of Ulali, he said, bellowing down. I knew we would meet again. Uma lit up beside me with delight. Rafe! Never mind them, the man called Rafe said. This is my ship. Who is your friend? My friend is a wonder, Uma said. We're stranded, Rafe. I... That's what my ship is for, Rafe said proudly. To discover and save the remaining wonders of the world. Any friend of yours is one of mine, Uma. I've never forgotten the healing you shared with me all those seasons ago. In a way, you helped me know to build this ark. But what, pray tell, is particularly wondrous about you, fair lady, friend to Uma? I looked at Uma askance. Is this Rafe flirting with me? I said. Uma shrugged. 
I made myself seem as big as I could. I can tell you tales to make you forget all your cares, I said. I am Naomi of the great lady's court. I, Uma grinned, show him your tail. Oh, that. I splashed my tail. Rafe was astonished. It's a merlady. The dark golden faces behind him rushed back to the edge. I obliged them all with another splash, and they were overjoyed. More faces appeared. I gave them a queenly wave, and right away they lowered down two barrels, one for Uma and one for me. I dipped mine full of water before I slipped inside it, and they heaved us up the side of the ark. Here we go, Uma said, quietly. I reached out to her. We were too far apart to touch, but she stretched her fingers towards mine just the same. Once on deck, I let them admire me, turning this way and that, so that my lovely scales caught the light. The people were all deeply tanned with long, dark eyes. They looked thin and drawn with stress, and they were beautiful, but not one of them was so lovely as my tail. I thanked them for their admiration, but asked that now they please wheel me into the shade at the front of the boat. It is much too bright for me here in the sun. The bow? Wouldn't you rather come below decks, my lady? Rafe said. Oh no, this way I can adjourn at a moment's notice. You see? Smiling, I made my hand leap up and swim away, as if over the side of his ship. A lady must preserve her options. Rafe laughed. As you wish. Oma seemed nervous, but Rafe's people helped her to move me into the shade, needling me with questions all the while. One elderly woman leaned in, rather too eagerly, on my barrel. And, uh, how do more people, such as yourself, um, populate, she said. I pushed her elbows off. She didn't seem to notice. Those who choose to procreate lock their tails together against the current. She puts her eggs in his pouch, and over time, their shells break down and his pouch forms a nest. When the children can swim, they move in and out of his pouch while he watches over them. There's nothing so lovely as a kelp garden filled with young, all flickering in the light. He raises them, the woman said, smiling. Of course, he keeps them safe and raises them up. She creates the world. What else are men for? This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this week's show, please scroll down in your app and click five stars. Maybe leave a little review. Please stay tuned. More from me is just down the road. 